welcome to the second season of The Normal World. As you might hear, I have my voice back, which is very useful when recording podcasts. This is a podcast where former elite athletes share their stories, not so much about their sport careers, but about how they found their way back into normal life. If you want more information about transformational coaching or worksheets on habits, check my website, actuallyanna.com. In this episode, I spoke with Rulin Pirun, who used to be an elite athlete in both freestyle skiing and ultimate frisbee. For any of you who don't know what ultimate frisbee is, don't worry. Imagine a combination of handball and rugby, but then played with a frisbee. So in this episode, we talked about Rulin's journey to becoming an elite freestyle skier, why she had to quit and how she started playing ultimate frisbee. I'm Anna Bakker and welcome to the normal world of Rulin Pirun. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm good. Nervous? Yeah. For this interview? Yeah. Um, yeah, always it feels like uh, always it's a moment to, to peak and uh, I'm glad to see you, glad to finally meet you. Yeah. Uh, we Likewise. had long conversations, so uh, maybe more excited than nervous. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, let's, let's get yeah. going. Huh? Well, the first question, I usually ask how did you start playing Ultimate Frisbee? But for you, it wasn't Ultimate Frisbee in the first place, was it? I think Ultimate Frisbee has been one of my favorite sports that I did, but I've always loved sports. Um, I think I was three years old when I said to my mom, I want to play hockey. And she was really surprised because nobody in our family played hockey. So she got me a hockey stick and she backed at the hockey, hockey club if, uh, that I could join at the age of five. And that was not allowed. You had to wait until you were six. And I had just turned five and I don't know, my mom is very persistent. So she made it happen. So I started playing hockey. Uh, and um, a few years later, I also started playing tennis at the same time. We had um, soccer or football championships in our school. I think it was at the age of nine. And uh, we always lost because uh, we had a small school and nobody played soccer and it was not, not a thing that you would do uh, as a girl. Uh, so we're talking about the uh, 80s. But I was persistent because I, I, wanted, I didn't, I didn't want to lose. Uh, so I said to one of the other girls who played with the guys sometimes during lunch break, hey, do you want to train and shall we find a coach? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So we asked one of the fathers and he started coaching us. Yeah, we, we trained for like six months together uh, and that's how we became second at the school championships. And then there was this guy and um, he was working for a professional football club. And at that time there was no professional football clubs for women. So, But he was like, you have to play football because otherwise I'll eat my shoe. <laughs> uh, and he's like, I'm going to pay your membership if you come and train once a week. So I was like, oh sure, you know, I love playing football and if you say so. So I joined the football club, played football. So I was playing three sports at the time. Hockey, football, tennis. Bit busy. Bit busy, but that was who I was uh, because I was living only with my mom. Uh, my mom was working quite a bit and I hate being lonely. <laughs> so sports was my, my default to meet people and to exercise, to be physically active and to use my energy well in a positive way. And I think from there on, I think I never, <laughs> I didn't really make conscious decisions. It was just at a certain point that someone said, hey, you're invited for regional selection. So I was invited for regional selection and decided to quit playing hockey, which I really regretted because I loved hockey more, but it just happened. <laughs> I think that was the idea. If you're good at something, you have to continue that because you're talented and you cannot waste your talent. Played football for a while, started studying, 
also quit football. Still, why? Why did you quit football? Because I was studying and I had to train quite a bit, and I couldn't make it with with all the things that I had. And then my trainer said, "Yeah, you have you are on the bench if you cannot train," um, because I had also introductions for my study. So she was very clear about that. She said, "You should play. You, you're on the bench." And I don't like being on the bench, so I said, "Well, put me in the second team then." And then she said, "You're too good for the second team." So I think I've felt like a waste of time because uh, I was studying, discovering a new life, and then I had to commit to sit on the bench. <laughs> yeah. What was the goal with football? Because she said most of the decisions were unconscious. Was there a goal with football you wanted to achieve? No, I think I, at that time, I think the way I grew up was like have fun. Uh, just enjoy the things that you want to do, and if you if you commit to something, you commit to it. But there, I was never raised in a way like you have to be good at something or you have to continue. I think my mom never pursued me to to do, to be good at something. Maybe I, I remember that <laughs> the first first day for the selection for football, uh, I was a striker, and then uh, I got tackled by someone. And my mom was yelling, oh, Colleen, are you all right? And I was so ashamed. I was like, mom, you don't understand sports. You know, this is part of the game. And I, I, I fell because I wanted to have a penalty, you know, not because I was hurt, because that was what we were also taught when we were 13, 14. And so she didn't get that sports mentality. And my mom was very persistent and she worked really hard, but not in sports, and mainly in other areas in her life. So I think that was just how it happened. Like, if you don't enjoy it anymore, you, you leave. You do something else. There are plenty of opportunities in life. How much did you train football? Did you feel like you were practicing it as an elite athlete? No, no? absolutely. Because that was, I mean, I was the first girl in the football club. Okay. Uh, so this was not something that girls would do. If you were fit and strong, you could reach to a high level. Like, football was not very technical. I think I was quite a technical player. And... I think in the summer vacation, uh, there was a club team uh, from the United States visiting Europe and they had quite some injuries. So they asked me if I wanted to play with them. So I joined that American team in the summer holidays. And that for me was a revelation. I think I was 17, 17, 18 at that time. That, that level was so much better and the girls were fitter, uh, stronger, shorter, uh, uh, technical. And I think here in the Netherlands, it was still in a time where, yeah, especially the defenders were just really heavy and strong and they would just tackle you. And, and that was it. It was really different than what happened mm. now. So I think I had a good life. You know, I did a lot of fun stuff. And I was also a member of the sailing club and it's just very spontaneous. <laughs> uh, but there was always this, this moment where elite sports attracted me. Also, because one of my friends that I played with in the hockey team and we scored all the goals together in our team, she became world champion in um, uh, indoor hockey. Oh, wow. And that was a moment where I was like, oh, what if? What if I... Uh, and I always got along very well with athletes. Uh, and years later, I discovered that my best friend from when I was nine, uh, she won a gold medal in uh, water polo. Oh, wow. You should interview her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can read that. Yeah. <laughs> What, and, what um, attracted you to the life as an elite athlete? I think it's like having a real goal and trying to discover what you're capable of in, in the heat of the moment. Like when everything comes together. 
and the life because I hate sitting still, like being able to be outside and exercise and do that kind of full time or structure everything around that was so much more appealing to me than just uh, being in an office. Like I I could not imagine having passion for something like that. I I can completely relate. (laughs) (laughs) Despite the fact that that I was never that until that time, I was never fond of just one sport. I was always playing outside. And like my calendar in the weekend was like, I think I had to play a football game at nine in the morning, then take a shower, go to the hockey club, play a hockey game. Uh, that was in, when I was in the C teams. And then sometimes the A teams or the B teams, they needed an extra player and they asked our team. To take along. So I, I <laughs> did another game with them. So there was one football game and two hockey games in the day. And then Sunday morning, I would go back to the hockey club again to watch the first team. And during their break, I would go on the field because that's what all the young kids do yeah. and, and play and, uh, and learn new stuff. And that was my weekend. And that was the best weekend ever. You know, it was... Yeah. Uh, and then maybe in the evening, we would, have, we would eat something. And then I would ask my mom, hey, mom, do you want to play badminton on the parking lot? <laughs> so I think that lifestyle, I think that, w- that was mainly it. Yeah. What happened after you quit football? Um, play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was. Um, I became a ski instructor at the age of 19. I was studying and I, I structured my courses uh, around the summer so that I could leave in winter. Nice. Um, Where'd you go for a skiing the, course? Uh, in Austria. And this was also something that I said to my mom when I was around nine-ish. I said, I want to become a ski instructor and a lifeguard when I go it it was definitely the lifestyle of being active and being outdoor and maybe also being in the spotlight because that's the same as a a ski instructor and a lifeguard so I started skiing and it was really funny because I hadn't skied for like eight years because I was mainly snowboarding so I had to had to learn how to ski again and so I skied for one week and it's like okay now I'm going to be an instructor and I was not really good, but I somehow I made it 50% gets their license the first time and I got it. So I was instructing and I think there the same happened every day. It was a very nice uh, ski school where we had ski instructor training twice a week, uh, Tuesday evenings and then also during the weekends. And then before I started working, I was always one hour already on the slopes to train myself. And then I was helping people. And then after I was teaching people, I was skiing again. And it was just because I, I enjoy learning. I enjoy improving myself. I had colleagues and they said, hey, you want to come to the uh, off-piste and uh, we teach you that. So I improved a lot. And then at the end of the season, there was this girl and she said, oh, you dramatically improved. You know, she was so honest. Like when I saw you for the first time, like <laughs> how is she going to be a ski instructor? <laughs> but now she's like, I'm impressed. And I was like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. And then I got more into skiing and I went as many times as I could also because it was somehow paid so I could afford it. Yeah. I saw that there was this Dutch guy and he had started the freestyle skiing club. And I watched the videos and I saw these people and I was like, okay, okay, I think I can do this. Not now but with some training. So I joined one of their camps in France and I was just like, 
persistent and learning and, and dedicated to be good and dedicated to show how good I was to this World Cup skier. He was a World Cup skier mm. at that time. And then at the end of the week, he said, I'm going to form a team, a bigger team. And we're going to train at the indoor slopes in, in the Netherlands. And I was like, can I join your team? And he's like, yeah, I already wanted to ask you. And that was the moment I was like, ha, now I can become an, an athlete for real. So I also w went to the study advisor of the University of Utrecht. And they gave me a scholarship because I was an athlete, nice. elite athlete. And uh, they got me in touch with one of their, yeah, the, the coaches from the Utrecht uh, area. And she said, hey, you know, you can also go to a sports psychologist. We pay part of the costs. Uh, you should do a medical uh, thing. So I was like, whoa, finally getting into this life. And, yeah. and that was at the age of um, 24, I think, pretty late. But I had done quite, a, uh, I had studied in the United States and uh, already did some of the normal life things. So I was like, I'm ready for this. I'm going to rock this and uh, study from Austria or wherever I was. So within a couple, well, two years, one and a half, I was skiing Euro Cups. And my, my, uh, my roommate, he's a tennis instructor, and he was always joking. He was like, yeah, if you're a fit woman, you can become an elite athlete in quite a lot of sports. You know, if, you, if you're fit, you learn, you pick things up easily. And, and he was also making jokes. But I was like, yeah, that, that's also my story. I don't pick the biggest sports, although hockey is quite a big sport. Yeah. But in smaller sports, I learn quickly, I'm fit, and, and that's how... I get to a certain level. So I think I think that was a, a good life until the, the coaches in the Netherlands were not able to train me anymore or, or not teach me too much anymore. So just to get a good visual of how your life would look like when you were practicing skiing as an yeah. elite athlete, you were training every day, I guess? And um, yeah, I think five, six times a week. It was a combination of um, skiing in the indoor slopes in the summer in the Netherlands, fitness, running, biking. So your whole life was around skiing? Yeah, and studying, but I was doing an academic study, so I was really flexible and I know how to plan things and, and I think I had a laptop so I could mm. work almost anywhere. And what was the goal with skiing? Good, for, good question, because uh, I think for me in the beginning it was just like be able to be part of the Dutch team and ski Euro Cups, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, my coach at that World Cup skier, he said, I, I think we should consider to think about a program to get you towards the Olympics in Vancouver 2010. And I was excited and I don't know if I believed it, but I was like, yeah, it sounds cool. And that's when I told my mom, I said, mom, you know, Jeffrey said, uh, we're going to train for Olympics. And that was typically my mom, how she raised me. She said, you at the Olympics? No, I don't see that happening. And that was exactly the reason why I never had an elite sports career, probably. Yeah, because th that's her, and I don't blame her because I, it's very healthy. But like, yeah, that's crazy, a crazy journey, you know, just be normal. She's often like, ah, be normal, you know, it's, it's don't, don't I think brag, it's a Dutch mentality, isn't very it? Very much, and she's from the north, so I think <laughs> yeah. it's even, even worse there. And that, that shocked me, but I, it was also the first time that I was aware, yeah, because I, at that time I already had my own apartment, I was living on my own, 
And she said that and I was like, oh, that's probably something that she also said in the past why I never pursued this dream of becoming an elite athlete in any sport. I think if I had to choose when I was young, it would have been in hockey Mm -hmm. because that was my favorite one. So for me, it was maybe also some sort of a compensation or something to show the world that I was able to do it. Or uh, I, I don't know if I did it for the real reason, but I doubt if any athlete does that. You know, <laughs> but yeah. that's a whole different story. No, it doesn't. And it's not, it doesn't matter because it's my, my yeah. story. Yeah. Did, um, you, did you ever get into that program to train for the Olympics? Well, I think that was the the thing uh, that from, there was no support from the Dutch Ski Federation because uh, freestyle skiing was not in their priorities. Uh, it was mainly alpine skiing at that time. And my trainer, he was he was a sports instructor at the army part time and also uh, yeah World Cup skier. And he said, "But I cannot bring you further because he was still competing. He had his job, uh, and he said I." grew this team also to do things together and to get sponsorships but to to bring you to the next level that'll be too difficult so he got a agreement with a slovenian coach who was a full-time coach and he was working with a girl who i don't know if she had already been to the olympics or was preparing for the olympics but at the end she joined three olympics nina was her name so i was able to train with with him and nina and then i moved to austria and skied every day and did my fitness there. So it was full time in the Alps. And I think that was the period when things turned because I didn't enjoy the lifestyle anymore because it was, uh, first of all, very different culture. How so? Uh, yeah, I don't want to generalize, but I think... Uh, it's, it's your... Uh, yeah. yeah, I know, but I, I always respect people a lot. Mm. But I think uh, Eastern European mentality is slightly different. Um, and I'm also this person that I like discipline, but I also like freedom. <laughs> That's pretty difficult. I, and I'm very creative. So if you allow me to be creative within the structure, I'm at my best. But if you try to fit me into a structure that doesn't fit me or with bad energy, I will take it because I have an elite athlete mentality and I will take a lot of things for the higher purpose, uh, but I will lose my energy at the end or my creativity or my power. So I think uh, what he did, he was, and and I totally understand that he wanted to help us, but he was yelling uh, at us every day, Um, maybe even more to Nina than to me. Uh, There was also a moment where he took the shovel to dig the ramps, the jumps, uh, where he hit Nina. Um, And that was, to me, was like, no, uh, this is something I cannot take. But we were also living in the same house. Uh, so we'd also had breakfast and dinner together. So you could never go ne- never away. escape. Never escape. No. Uh, and then I would take take my mountain bike and just go for a round uh, just to see the cows and whatever and, and just Clear change yeah. change mentality, change perspective. Uh, but then he would get angry because he would say, you have to sleep, you have to rest. Uh, you cannot go on your bike. And I think that were things that I couldn't discuss. I think it's something that had, this is a different time this is 12 years ago different culture as well but it's also not very common that as an athlete you say hey you know this is what i need how you just fit in the structure or not yeah and pe- people are different some people like to be with everyone other people. is different exactly yeah and i'm well when you arrived here i said 
can I pick you up? And you're like, oh, I'm fine. And I said, oh, but I wanted to pick you up just to change my perspective, uh, to be yeah. outside of the office. So it's my coping strategy to get new creativity and energy. But there was no space. Uh, there was there was no space to share your own perspective. So what was the result? Like how, how long did you persist in this? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think we started training in summer together. And then in December of that same year, he said uh, we were we were off and they were off to World Cups and I was off to Euro Cups, so I didn't he couldn't come with me. And he said, "Okay, good luck. And uh, listen, you can be a very good skier if you were not so stupid. And I know that I'm not stupid, but it's the the disobedience maybe that he. Qualified, as, qualified stupid. As, yeah. as stupid. And I must be honest, because when you try to fit me into a certain structure and you don't listen to me, I'll be this kid at the back of the classroom, you know, being naughty. Yeah. So I once escaped the training facility <laughs> and went on a date, internet no. date, <laughs> stayed with that guy for the night, sneaked into the house again. And the next morning I had to train. And he was like, he, he was like, he, was, he didn't say anything. So I was like, I got away with it. And I trained well. And then in the afternoon, I got tired. And he's like, are you tired? And I'm like, no. He's like, what did you do last night? <laughs> did you sneak in at 7 a.m.? You know? <laughs> so it was just, he, he, he brought out the naughtiest thing about me because I could not be myself. For so, uh, I was so... Yeah, so disciplined. Force in that structure. Yes. So how did that, what did that result in? Well, actually when the season started, the real competitions, uh, I got nasty um, inconveniences. Uh, and then re- that also resulted in uh, being overtrained. And that feels like being burned out. And uh, I was also taken to a, a cardiologist because my heartbeat was not correct when I was performing at, at my max. So I had to carry uh, one of those machines for 24 hours that they monitor your heart. Uh, so that was freaky, you know. I thought that a lot yeah. of things were going on, but it was just being overtrained, not being able to be yourself for such a long time. Not, I think it was not even the, um, the workload, but it was the mental workload that made it hard and yeah. not being able to escape from that. I've, I've recorded a podcast last season with Kim, a former squash player, and he had a, his whole story was about being overtrained. Oh, how, yeah. did, how did you do with that? Because from what I've heard from him, it's very lonely. Super lonely. And it was really weird because I'm not scared. As you know, I, I'm not scared to leave a training facility. But I got to a point where I was scared of lightning. I remember that there was thunder and I wanted to... to sit under the bench because I was scared and also scared that something was wrong with me, that I would never be fit again. I think, that, yes, you're lonely because you have been in Austria for months. Eh? So you don't see your regular friends and you're not feeling at your best. So you're also not able to, to party with them. So I think it was a lonely, scary period. How did you deal with that? Um, more internet dating. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't help. And at a certain point, I think it was when the the sports doctor in um, in the hospital in Utrecht, he said, you don't have to worry. You're just overtrained. Just relax. And, and, and But that's a very difficult it. task for an elite athlete to just say, relax. Yeah, but he was quite specific. He was like, you know, you can hike, you can bike. Okay. Um, 
yeah, just enjoy. And I think the the fact that it was just something normal uh, was already quite a relief. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I was also speaking with a sports psychologist and not knowing if I wanted to quit or if I wanted to continue. And uh, I had seen, um, I, I had graduated by that time as well. And I had seen a, a vacancy for a job also in helping talents uh, in elite sports. And that was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And there are other things in life that interest me. So your perspective changed? Yeah. And I think I, I applied for the job. I wasn't even invited for an interview, but I visualized that life. And then things got better and better. And then my trainer, the Dutch trainer, he said, you know what? I know that you cannot maintain the biking and fitness and the structured life. Why don't you just pick sports that you like to do? Uh, and play it once or twice a week in summer uh, because I don't care if you play hockey or football again or tennis just get fit uh, and have fun just have fun yeah so it's like oh cool yeah I will do that what shall I do and then I was in the at the university and I saw a poster about ultimate frisbee and I had done that once in school and I really enjoyed it uh, with my friend and actually we wanted to join that club we were playing football at that time and we said oh we could also play frisbee we were 14 so or that's something. how you got into ultimate frisbee yeah well yeah. when we were 14 yeah. we were interested we wanted to join the club but the club said no this is only for students so years later when i when my trainer said hey you can do something else yeah. i saw frisbee and i was like oh let's go to this practice so i went to the practice i remember that there was this girl french girl and she was like hey do you want to throw she's still my friend martha hi martha if you're listening <laughs> um and um and we trained and it was a lot of fun. And frisbee is this kind of old hippie sport. It's like a community team vibe. Uh, something that I also knew from, from football and from hockey, but with less competition. Yeah. Uh, because I, and it was also mixed. So I think, oh. yeah, so yeah. women and, and guys together. So it was, it was like having fun. And we had a drink together at, after training. And then there was this guy and he's like, are you going to the where are you going in Utrecht? I said, the east part of the city. And it's like, oh, me too, let's bike together. So we were biking and he's like, so what's your story? And I told him the, the ski story and I didn't say- Did you quit skiing at that point in time already? No, not? Okay. no, because the trainer said okay. I had to get fit for summer, do something else, which yeah. was Frisbee. Yeah. And so I said, yeah, I'm in a Dutch team and I'm playing Frisbee just for my, to recover again from being overtrained and to have something fun and he said oh too bad because you would also be talented in uh, ultimate frisbee (laughs) and he was the captain of the men's frisbee team and i was like oh not again (laughs) (laughs) and i remembered thomas my roommate who always said if you're a fit fit woman in a small sport uh, you can achieve quite a lot at this point (laughs) Uh, i said to him yeah well Cool, but um, too bad. I'm skiing. And uh, he's like, well, I'll see you next time. And, and uh, I made friends at the Frisbee Club and I was invited for barbecues. And it was just a completely different thing from what I was used to from skiing. Because with skiing, you are also each other's competitors. Yeah? So you can have nice conversations and nice dinner. But at the same time, there will always be one of those remarks where somebody said, I did better than you did. Or... Uh, for example, in the Dutch championships, like 
you're sitting next together at the table and and uh, the one who who won gets congratulated and you're sitting next to her all the time and you're like yeah but i didn't uh, so it is uh, and you should be happy for it and and I think right now at this point in my life, I can, I'm at that stage where I can be happy for others. But when you're young and elite sport mentality, it's more competition between teammates. And with Frisbee, that, it was not the case because it was team sport and it was very hippie-ish. Um, What's the biggest difference, you'd say, between the culture within skiing and within Ultimate Frisbee? Well, I think uh, skiing is an individual sport it, that makes it different i think i think skiing is also it's very short it's like 25 seconds or 30 sometimes 35 and then it's over so it's really that peak moment where in frisbee it's a whole game where you can recover and also uh, work on a strategy or or figure out a strategy together you have those moments that, that that are bad and better moments and it's it's more of a journey i would say and going together through such a journey in a game brings some kind of energy that i didn't know from skiing uh, because you just do it and and that's it and then if you fall too bad you're in czech republic and next chance is in italy and like i drove all the way to czech republic and now i fall and i cannot recover and with frisbee you can recover your mistakes and show better and that's what i really enjoyed there so I think I think with with frisbee I felt I felt included really where mm-hmm. I felt with in skiing felt excluded but skiing was definitely a big passion and also a big dream so at the end of the or at the beginning of the ski season I went to Austria again this was November we were training and I fell when I did a backflip and my knee hurt and so I went to first aid and they said you should go to the hospital so I went to the hospital and they said you have torn ligaments uh, in your knee and um, you have to go home and uh, get surgery or get what? surgery mm. well get get MRI okay first, yeah uh, and then probably get surgery we're two doctors and I uh, said but we're not completely sure because it's swollen and you have to get an MRI of course so I, I was transported home uh, the two guys one came to pick up my car and the other one was with the ambulance so they took me in the ambulance which was really weird because I could still walk. Yeah. Uh, but they were like, yeah, but you're so strong. So probably your muscles are taking it over. Went home and then went to the hospital in the Netherlands. Two elite sports doctors. One of them is the doctor of the NSF at this moment. So not a stupid guy. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're 90% sure that the ligaments are torn. And I was like, I don't understand. It was, for me, it felt different. I, I didn't have the feeling that it was that bad. Mm. But yeah, there were four doctors who said that. And eh, they were working with <laughs> athletes. So I was like, yeah. okay. And I also remember that I said, I cannot believe it. And they said, well, girl, I know it's hard for you to believe it. You know, this is quite a shock. So we, it will take time to believe it. And I was like, yeah, but I really don't believe it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I had my doubts. And then there was... We got the MRI and it was, I think Christmas or something was in between. So it took quite a while because I was not that good that uh, that they would have the results the next day. I also mm-hmm. had to just wait. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then in January they had the results and I came there. And I think in that period over Christmas, I had already said goodbye to skiing. Because... Uh, uh, in your head? Or in did my you head. also like no, in say my head. it out loud? Okay. In my head because it was... 
I, I missed that year that I was overtrained and then torn ligament, which will take six to nine months, which yeah, means, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had it. Yeah. 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 Um, so that means that you will, might be recovered like somewhere in autumn and that's not enough to become fit again for the next skiing season. So that I was already counting like, oh, three lost seasons. That's too much. Yeah. And I had also graduated my studies. So I was already working as a researcher part-time. And I was like, how, how will I do this again? And I remember that I said, okay, but when I recover after this six or nine months, uh, I will start playing frisbee. Yeah. And, yeah. How did you, because you also mentioned that skiing was such a big passion for you. How did you came to that decision in the end? <laughs> I think it's this moment that you fall in love with something else, but you don't dare to admit it. I felt maybe not loyal anymore to skiing or, or like I was kind of married to skiing, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then I saw Frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think I think it was that. I think I, I I was in love with two sports and Frisbee was taking the overhand, I guess. But it was also Was it an easy decision? Uh, no. No no it was not, not easy. Um, not at all. And I also remember that when I made that decision to at least not continue skiing on a professional base, because I, I had a couple of dreams. And, and one of those dreams was to do free ride competition. Uh, that was something that uh, I really wanted. But now I know that one of my core values is freedom. Uh, and the free ride competition that appealed so much to me. So that's something that I wanted. And I always had the dream to be part of the, um, the test team for the Dutch ski magazine. Test all those skis and cool. um, yeah. And and at the time I was studying communication or I had studied communications. Yeah, that it felt incomplete. Huh? I, 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 those were two things I still wanted to do. And the sports psychologist said, yeah, but isn't that possible when you do it at a lower level? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I still get invited for a magazine or something. We said, yeah, you can try. Uh, so that's what I did. I think I and then I quit, and then people knew from Frisbee, and then they said, "Hey, you know, do you want to do tryouts for the national <laughs> yeah. team?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> not again." You know, I've been yeah. there. I said, "No, I just want to train once or twice a week, uh, start my life here, just try to be normal." How did that go? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but at that time it was good. Yeah. I think three, four months I wanted to be normal. Yeah. Uh, and um, did you miss it skiing? Do you still, do you miss it sometimes? <sighs> it's so difficult to enjoy it because there's, Why? I think, I, well, a lot of things happened and I haven't been skiing for eight years, maybe. Why is it difficult? I'm used to perfect conditions. I'm used to free skiing. So if I now pay lots of money for it, I'm like, oh, and the conditions are not great. Because at the end, I became a ski journalist mm-hmm. and I was invited for that magazine. Yeah. So I also got to make free trips and, and spend time in five-star hotels. And so that was a very cool life. And when I go now, it's, it's, it's a little different. And I don't want to make this too complicated, but um, one of my ski friends died. Oh. Um, so there was someone I used to ski with and she passed away. So there's also a memory when I go skiing yeah. of missing her. Yeah. I also played tennis with her, so tennis became also yeah, loaded. 
And I think the whole skiing thing became loaded because when I'm on the slopes, there are memories. And as you also mentioned, you know, you can go in therapy and and, uh, do things about it. Of course. But it never takes away the memories. uh, But it's never as when you started, where you had this feeling like, oh, I can conquer the world and wow, fresh snow. It it was loaded. And Frisbee was not loaded at that time because it was new. At that time? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Is Uh, is it loaded now, Frisbee? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 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 But that's that's because European Championships got cancelled of COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll get to that. We'll get to that. (laughs) Uh, But I think, but that's with everything. I'm I'm married now. I'm together with the, uh, I don't want to discuss my difficulties in my marriage. No, No. I'm joking. But at the beginning of falling in love is always different than 14 years of being in a relationship. Yeah. And that's the same in sports. It's, yeah. it's a fun thing that you mention it because I think that's the closest you can compare it to is like a marriage with a sport. Yeah. And yeah, that's the journey you get through. I think for people who aren't an elite athlete, I think that's the closest thing you can compare it to. Exactly. Yeah. And you're there even if you don't want to be there. Yeah. You you don't give up on your elite sport career. You because don't give up on your marriage. Goal. You fix it. Yeah. Or... At a certain point that you realize I cannot fix it anymore, that's when you have to say goodbye. But it's probably feels like a divorce. Heartbreak, I've, divorce, I've, yeah. I've never got divorced. I don't want to get divorced. <laughs> uh, but I, I, it, it's this, this grief of losing something that you really loved. And also the grief of something that you want to continue for many more years. The dream of doing so many more things together. Yeah. Uh, whether this is a relationship or the sports career. And I think that's what I had with when I broke up with skiing. Did Frisbee replace that for you? Yeah, I think partly, but I think it's in any relationship. You know, you cannot just replace it with another guy or girl or no. whatever it is. <laughs> it, it's, you, you first have to give it a place and then there's space for something new. And I think the new thing fills in some of the void. Uh, and I, 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 because it's, I think, when you're, I mean, I love sports, I love competing, I love challenging myself, I love to learn new things. So uh, it's not a surprise that I got into frisbee and then after skiing many more sports, not on a competitive level. Yeah. But, and I think that's the same for me with relationship. I've been together now with Sander for 14 years, but before that I was with other guys and I think it... It's, when you break up, it's heartbroken and it hurts, but you're still looking for love eh? and affection and sharing your life together. Some people don't, they still stay with the old memory, but that was the same for me. I broke up with skiing, but it doesn't mean that I was not looking again for something new. So I think the relationship with Frisbee came quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I had, and I, and I think I, in Frisbee, I found a lot of things that I didn't find uh, in skiing. And I think I've also, all the mistakes that I made in skiing, I didn't have to make again in Frisbee. What kind of things did you found in Frisbee that you couldn't in, in skiing? Because um, I, I, I assume you got into the national team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And multiple times national yeah. champion with, in the men's division as well. World championships, European championships. Um, I think the team, but that's what I also now have in my work, 
it's doing things together, bringing out the best in yourself and other people at the same time, or sometimes bringing out the best in other people while you haven't played at your best for yourself, but knowing that you made others better. I really enjoy that. And that's something that I think that's what I enjoy the most. Uh, when, when I see that people perform well because I inspire them, and that's something I, that is impossible in skiing. Well, it is possible. You can uh, do that with your opponent, but then you have lost. Yeah. Uh, um, th- that's what I really liked. And also, after the game, talk about it. Uh, or before the game, when we were in the car and then driving, I don't know, to Switzerland and just talking and having fun together. That, that shared ambition, that is for me super cool and frisbee and that's what I also of course had in hockey and football yeah uh, when I was younger and also actually in tennis because I did lots of doubles in tennis so for me that's a core value and I think it was also a bit easier because I could go on my bike to frisbee and not traveling to the Alps all the time so it felt less lonely and I could also change my perspective uh, because I was allowed in frisbee Oh, yeah, of course. Frisbee, everything yeah, is I, allowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I lived at home. I, yeah. I uh, it, uh, there was no training camps or whatsoever. Because uh, how for my to get a visualization about this, how many hours were you practicing when you were doing elite ultimate frisbee? Yeah, I think um, 10, 12 hours a week. Well, that's a complete different world to what you were doing with skiing. Yes. Yeah, half. Yeah. Uh, so you could actually have kind of a normal life yeah. next to the frisbee. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And plus, I think in skiing, you had to give up on your friendships, but with frisbee, you created friendship. With, so within the... Within there. So if you were training, but also after training, you were surrounded by friends. And I met my husband there as well. So it was even possible to find a partner, which was impossible as a skier because you were just with your trainer and your teammate uh, somewhere in a house in Austria and on the slopes and that was it Uh, and maybe you got to meet your material man and some of the other skiers in the world but that was it It was quite lonely at some point you had to you quit ultimate frisbee yeah so you said that you created a lot of friendships within the sport how does that go when you quit the sport do you then also lose the friendships? Kind of, uh, I kind of. I, with some, I'm I'm still in touch, but I think it was also this moment where people started to have children, so they have different priorities. We we don't have children, so we don't have that same experience. Um, and then, of course, two years of COVID, where yeah. you rarely met any people. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I. I still see people, and but it's really, I don't know, this is something that elite athletes always can relate to, is going for a coffee together and having a cake and sitting in the sun with the people that you have experienced so many cool moments with when your heartbeat was at 180 or 190 is so different. Like yeah. all of a sudden it gets pretty boring to just sit and talk about normal things especially when they start talking about their children (laughs) and how good they are at school you know it's just completely different and i think that's something that i never found back again because the reason i'm asking is because i've interviewed also a couple of like team players who like team sports elite athletes who quit and they mentioned that losing the friendship not being part of the team was a really big part in how they how they find it really difficult to transition into the normal world 
yeah, I, th- I felt lonely again. Uh, so after skiing, I felt lonely. And then after quitting Frisbee, I also felt lonely. What Were they comparable, the, the types of lonely that you felt? Or was it a different type of feeling when you quit skiing and when you quit Frisbee? Um... Because normal people yeah. would say you've been through it normal with skiing. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> you get what I yeah, mean. Yeah. Non-elite athletes would say, "Oh, you've but you've been through it with skiing." So yeah. so with frisbee, you knew what you were getting yourself into. So it must be easier. But I I doubt if that is the case. Uh, well, it was of course it was different because I was not overtrained, and I was together with my husband, and I was. Uh, frisbee was less loaded of course uh, I left there in a much better situation um, I just left because I start want to start my business and I couldn't combine it and I think I lost some of the interest due to a bit of cultural differences where frisbee became more happy happy and less competitive um, and more hippie-ish and that's something that yeah is not for me so I found that challenge in, in my work But I had to, I, I run a startup and so I had to start all over again. So I think it was that loneliness of starting all over new and also having your old friends not understanding what you were doing. I think that was when I quit skiing, my ski friends didn't understand the frisbee part. And I think with, with frisbee, yeah. those people didn't understand what I was doing with my business and they would ask me for dinner sometimes but I was running a startup so I wanted to spend all my money in the startup and going not having so much money anymore also excludes you from certain social activities are you coming on a weekend or are you coming on a frisbee weekend which also costed a lot of money so I think I maybe I I chose that loneliness again it's also the challenge of when you're somewhere included in an environment where you are doing well and i think at that point i was seen as one of the best players in europe now i was at my peak and then leaving for something that is insecure where nobody knows you and nobody is able to help you it was a huge challenge which i consciously choose because i remember that I was like, yeah, I'm living in the city for 16 years. I have these same friends. It's time to, again, change perspective and challenge myself. But it was it was a difficult journey. And I think when you ask that thing about team vibe, it's something that I found back in my business because the, the way we work here together with the trainers, we also require elite sports mentality and, and we have... You could argue if starting your own business isn't like elite mentality I mean or like similar to being an elite athlete (laughs) maybe maybe it's even worse I (laughs) guess (laughs) I mean like if you don't train you just you might you're not fit maybe or you know if you don't work you lose all of your money yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's uh, the responsibility Uh, I've never I've I mean I can imagine that if you're a cyclist or a football player and making millions and also making millions for your team or your club that pressure will be extremely high but I think as an entrepreneur I think that the pressure is again very high but it's something I also enjoy and also the responsibility for your team members and that's different here I think in a team sports well hopefully everybody feels responsible for the results As a business owner, you're always the person 
that takes most responsibility and the rest also take responsibility but they know they will get the money and if not they will go to the government and for me that that's different so i think but i learned a lot from elite sports and also in times when my business was not doing too well because it always goes with ups and downs and the pandemic yeah was not super easy no uh, there were certain moments that i realized like okay wait this is like playing universe point. Uh, this is, it doesn't look right. It looks as if, if you're going to lose, but I know how to change the game. I know how to get that energy from, the, from my toes and just like, like a superpower that you cannot use every day, but sometimes when you really want it. And, and now I'm going to change that game and win it. And that's what I did quite sometimes in my business. It also takes awful lot of energy but that's also something that I learned in elite sports, that it's not only about peaking all the time, but also choosing those moments consciously. So I, I found that back and the pandemic was hard because then uh, you were not able to really have that team vibe. Uh, but now we, we're having it here. And I think as sometimes I'm, I'm now 40, I think people say, oh yeah, you will change, you will get you will fit in more or become more quiet or mellow or, or you're losing the sharp edges. I don't think so. I'm probably less impulsive because I know who I am and how to control it. But the interest for challenging myself and the adrenaline rush and having those super intense relationships with people, because that's what I love in in team sports. Uh, this just like you're dirty and you're tired and you're injured and and you just oh I remember on that field like I'll get it for you now you know I know that you're tired but I still have energy I will get it back for you and it almost feels like you're in the army or something I've never <laughs> been in the army but I can imagine um and 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 that's what I enjoy uh, that also that selflessness that that you will suffer yourself for the bigger team uh, for the bigger goal and then at a certain point, again, think about yourself and not always. But I think that's what I really enjoy. And that's something that I rarely see in normal life. Um, I can agree with that, yeah. Yeah, how, how, how does that work for you? Well, I do, I do think indeed that being an elite athlete is part of who you are. Yeah. And I think striving for that bigger goal and striving to improve yourself every single day is something that will never go away. And it's really hard to find that type of challenge in normal life. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Do you still play Frisbee? Uh, no, no. I mean, I played again this, this uh, summer. Uh, I was asked to join a new young team, lots of talented players that are now uh, European top level. I played against them when, I, when they were 16. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we were aiming for uh, European championships indoor. We had a very good coach, Julia. Uh, she really impressed me. It was supposed to happen last week. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, in October we got a message and it was cancelled because of COVID. Completely cancelled. Completely cancelled. Not on the agenda for next year. It was really awkward how it all went. I think nobody knew how to deal with it. So we, we got that message and we just stopped training that week. Oh. Um, yeah, it, it was not my preference, but... I, had, I was not in my control. So that was the end of my second Frisbee career. How do you feel about that? Pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Um, because it was, I've won bronze medal 
and I was in um when I was playing frisbee I was in a there were not many people of my age that were on an elite level so I was always in between two generations a stronger generation that is older and a generation that is younger the, the girls that I played against when they were 16 so I saw other players that were friends from other countries win gold medals uh, for example my friends from uh, uh, UK and from uh, Germany so when the coach said hey we now have a team we're aiming for gold medal as Europeans I was like yes this is the moment to finish my career and I think it was really cool to discover that I didn't want to be the star player on the field anymore but I was really there to facilitate others which really confused those girls because they <laughs> yeah. played against me and I was always like, uh, you should be scared of me. And I was like, no, no, I'm there to help you. Um, Completely different perspective. Yeah, but it was really, really, I, I became even more of a team player also due to my work. I had visualized it already a hundred times how we would win gold. And then the, I had not visualized that phone call. Hey. It's no, <laughs> I, think, I think no one did, no. 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 So um, that was yeah, quite awkward and sudden. And um, for me, there's no perspective because it's, it's not postponed. So it's not like, oh, we're going to train another time. As, as I said, I'm 40 now. I run my own business. We bought a house that we're renovating. So there are a lot of things in my life that are cool and challenging. But I think I would put it aside again for Frisbee. But if there's no perspective anymore for when and what, and then I was I was asked to join the World Championship for veterans or for masters. I said, no, no, I'm not going to join the masters. <laughs> that's that's yeah. not real. So no, I think I think that was uh, so. There's no closure there. Uh, so we'll see what happens. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. I mean, I do CrossFit. I did kickboxing, but I've never found that passion again that I actually had for like three sports in my life I think and I think that was field hockey skiing and frisbee and all the other sports are just entertainment or as I say occupational therapy but never that that really falling in love and the obsessed uh, thing I, although although kickboxing people called me sometimes obsessed when I was training but I was like no no you don't know <laughs> you don't you don't know what it is when you really no. fall in love yeah with that so I think and that's it. I mean, uh, we'll see. I know that there will be a tournament on the 1st of May. Again, it's just a fun tournament. They invited me to come, so I'm, I'm thinking about it. But I'm definitely not Frisbee fit at this moment because we quit training in October. Yeah. Uh, and I'm fitnessing, so it's really different. But, but we'll see. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I mean, I'm just grateful for everything that happened. And, you cannot control everything. Eh? And sometimes you have a plan and you you even surprise yourself. And then sometimes things go differently. And I noticed that when you try to force it, it's, it's not going to work. Uh, so it's also go with the flow, see what happens. And, and what I also realized is when I got the bronze medal, it was a deception because nobody was more proud or friendlier or different you know I was just the same person everybody was the same and I had worked a lot a whole lot for that bronze medal and it was just like yeah nothing changed nothing changed and that same week I got a cat well the cat changed my life more than that the medal did <laughs> oh, yeah 
Yeah. I want to ask you one final question. Sure. If you and I ask this to uh, to anyone, if you could give your younger self some advice, what would you say to the younger Rolling? And how old is she? Huh. Um, so the first thing that pops in my mind is me as a skier. I guess um, just do it the way you want to do it, and and don't try to fit in too much. Um, I think that's the difficulty when you're I'm ambitious, and I can swallow stuff but I sometimes lose myself trying to achieve the bigger thing and that drains my energy but that's something actually I, sh I should tell my younger self but also my current self so <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you, you advise yourself I I was gonna say I completely recognize myself in this yeah. yes I do yeah trying to fit in You're trying to fit in and completely losing your energy in it yeah and, and yourself yes yeah yeah Yeah, I think uh, people admire athletes, but sometimes those things where they admire them for are also very toxic. Toxic and deceptive, yeah. because yeah. they don't see the whole picture. Yeah, no, I, I sometimes, sometimes when I'm tired, I want to be normal and live a normal life. And then I start trying to live a normal life. And then two weeks later, I'm like, wow, this is so boring. Let's yeah. go for a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I completely agree with that. Yeah, it's just who, who, who we are. Yeah. Thank you for telling your story. Thank you for asking. Yes. Thank you. For, I mean, I know your story. Thank you also for sharing your story. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoy your podcast and I really encourage you to continue and uh, meet lots of cool, interesting people with um, unique stories. Thank you so much. I hope, uh, yeah, that we'll, uh, we'll see what it brings in the future. But thank you so much Absolutely. again. Absolutely. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Nowadays, Rulene helps former elite athletes or people who go through major life changes with her company, Mind5. She helps them deal with the stress that comes with life changes and create a more meaningful life. If you want more information, go to mind5training.com or connect with Rulene on LinkedIn. This podcast was created, hosted, edited and produced by Anlet Bakker and the music is We Are Free by Ixen.